All right, it's good to see everybody here today. At the end of uh, the service today, as we are closing in prayer, uh, we are going to want to remember uh, two of our young people that are headed, heading off to college. This, this becomes like the worst moment for parents' lives sometimes. But uh, Oscar, I believe, is his last Sunday with us. And it's also Steffi's last Sunday with us. And Oscar will be going to Holland. Steffi will be going to New York City, uh, not far from where I'm from. So we, at the end of service today, we want to surround their families, uh, whoever's sitting around them. And just, we just want to pray for God's blessing on them and, and protection and also praying for mom and dad as well, that God will comfort them in time of need. So uh, we'll remember to do that at the end of the service today. Well, welcome to church, everybody. It's good to see all of you here today. Let's get right into the word of God. And we are going to go into Mark chapter 1. This is the fourth sermon from our Mark series. Today we're going to read uh, chapter 1, verse 14 to 20. And today's sermon title is, When the Master Calls. All right, and we'll fill in the blank after that. When the master calls, the master, of course, is Jesus, and he is Lord, which means master. All right, and we're going to see a story today when the master called the first four disciples that followed him. So if you'll find that in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1, and when you find it, if you would stand with me, and also as you're doing that, today's Communion Sunday. So after the sermon today and after we pray, we're going to have a time of communion. If you did not receive these communion emblems, just please signal down, uh, maybe the usher later on, Brother Hendrick or Brother Andre, and they'll be sure that you get one of these packets that have the communion uh, emblems there. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 14, and I'll read until verse 20. All right, let's begin. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately, say that, immediately, Say it again, immediately. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When the master calls... Now, just for the introduction today, I, I want to use the very first two verses today as the introduction. In the first two verses, it says, Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, just a few things here. It says that when John was put into prison, that's John the Baptist. So we now find out from the Gospel of Mark, eventually, John was put into a prison. Now, he doesn't go into any details about why or what happened, but when we get to Mark chapter 6, 
We're going to find out just what happened to John the Baptist. So we'll leave it there in the future, Mark chapter 6. But I just want to briefly focus on the message that Jesus came preaching with. What did he say in the very first moment of his preaching? He says, the time is fulfilled. In other words, all that God had been doing from the very beginning of time, even from before the beginning of time, God has pre been preparing the way of salvation for all mankind. And now, Jesus says, now that Jesus is here, the Son of God has arrived. Now that time is being fulfilled. It will ultimately be fulfilled in the life and in the crucifixion and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. When God the Son came into the world, the very kingdom of God was in the presence of the people. Why? Because in God's kingdom there is one king, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the king of that kingdom was now here. And what did he say in his preaching? He said, repent and believe in the gospel. Now again, we're not going to stay here too long, but I just want to mention this. There are many people today that make a, a bad mistake in how they understand some things. A lot of people will look at the Old Testament and, and they say, you know, God used to be a mean God. Always giving commands, always punishing if you didn't follow. I mean, that's a mean God. The Father must be a mean person. But then when Jesus comes, oh, now it's all love. It's everything's wonderful. And it's almost like, you know, uh, the Son is more loving than the Father is. And that's a big mistake to think such things. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, God always taught that you must repent of your sins and trust in him. So that when Jesus comes, what's the message that he preaches? It's the same. Repent of your sin and believe. The mistake that people make is this. They think that Jesus is just a great loving Savior. And all you have to do is just at least believe that. He's a loving Savior. And then, go back to living however you want to live. Keep going as normal. No matter what you do, don't worry. He's a loving Savior. Jesus comes, and the very first word he preaches is repent. Repent. Do you remember what that word meant from our previous sermons? It means to turn around. It means you're walking on a road to sin, in sin, headed to destruction, and he wants you to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. That's the message of repentance. Does Jesus love us? Absolutely. He proved it at the cross. Does Jesus make excuses for your sin? Does Jesus not really care too much about your sin? Absolutely not. He is God, and he commands us to turn from our sin and to trust in him. So whatever you thought about the gospel, whatever you thought about the love of God, make sure you always understand that, yes, God is loving, absolutely, and God is also holy, and he commands us to be holy. 
And he's called all of us to turn from our sins and to trust in him. Amen? Repent, he says, and believe in the gospel. And that message has been the same message, message the church has preached for the last 2,000 years. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That message has not changed. And so now today, as Jesus is proclaiming that message, he knows that one day he's going to die, rise again, and then go back to heaven. And he's going to leave the ministry into the hands of 12 disciples. And not only them, but many disciples that were following in the days of Acts chapter 2 that we read. And so the most important message the world could ever hear has been left into the hands of people just like you and me. And this is the story about when Jesus first called those first disciples to follow him. Today's story takes place at the Sea of Galilee. Normally, we probably wouldn't know much about Sea of Galilee at all, except for the fact that Jesus ministered so much around that lake. I mean, the whole world has probably heard about the Sea of Galilee because Jesus did incredible things there. It was at the villages around the lake called Galilee that Jesus ministered. It was on those very waters that Jesus walked on the waters of the, the Sea of Galilee. It's where the storm was, and he spoke peace into the storm. And the storm settled down, and there was peace. So much happened at this lake. And this is where our story takes place today. And when I read the story, the story, as I think about it, and try to imagine it in my mind, it touches my heart deeply because of two things. First of all, I'm touched in my heart when I read the story because of how the Lord was willing to call them. Regular, everyday people. People who had no qualifications. People who would not be considered to be anyone by any social position at all. Nobodies they were. And yet Jesus was willing to call them. And that touches my heart because if he's willing to call them, then he's willing to call people like us as well. The second thing that touches my heart is that they were willing to follow him. And they were willing to follow no matter what it meant for them or for their families. So I'd like to spend some time today considering this story. And I want to picture all of us walking with Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And as he's looking out and calling first uh, Simon and Andrew, and then later he calls James and John, I want to pretend we're sort of walking with him, listening to him, and seeing what he saw. What did he see on that day? And that's the question where our sermon is built from. The question is, what did the master see in the ones whom he called? What did Jesus see in the ones that he called to follow him? Let's look at this together today. Number one, we're going to talk about he saw men and their future. Number two, he saw fishermen and their faithfulness. Number three, he saw servants and their fast response. Let's begin with number one. What did he see? He saw men and their 
future. Look at this once again with me. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. These are the four men we're going to concentrate on for a moment. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. When he saw them, he saw men and their future. What do we mean by that? Well, remember Simon, first of all. Who was Simon? Of course, one of the disciples of Jesus, but what do we know about him? In the early stages of his following Jesus. What do we know about him? Well, one thing that you'll find is that there were some times that he, he said such great things, he, he, he showed such great faith, but like many of us, he had some mountaintop experiences and some valleys too, because he often said the things he shouldn't be saying and did the things he shouldn't have done. There are times where Simon thought he was above others. He thought he was above the other disciples. Remember, he said to Jesus, even if they all deny you, I will never deny you, Lord. In other words, I'm better than them. I'm more devoted than they are. And there are times that Simon, he was quite angry sometimes, and he had these, these fits, these outbursts. Like Jesus was talking about how he had to go to the cross and die, and Peter took it upon himself to rebuke him for it. Stop talking like that, Lord. And he rebuked Jesus. He had these outbursts. And then we know that when Jesus was arrested, taken to be questioned, and just as Jesus predicted, this Simon denied Jesus three times, vehemently denied him. And in the end of it all, during the crucifixion of Jesus, we see Simon with his head in his hands, weeping and crying because it seemed like everything was falling apart for him. That was Simon. And on this day, Jesus saw Simon. But Jesus also saw Peter. When Jesus fir first met Simon, he said, your name is Simon, but you shall be called Peter, which means a rock. Why did Jesus say that to him? Because Jesus saw what he was going to accomplish in this man, Simon. You may not see it now, Simon. You may not realize it now, but one day people will call you Peter because you're going to be like a rock. And all you have to do is follow the story of Peter. And he became a rock in the church, unmovable, steadfast in his faith, devoted completely to the Lord, unwavering. On the day of Pentecost, it was Peter, like a rock, firm, steadfast, preaching to all the people about Jesus. And through his preaching, 3,000 people were saved. Peter took that devotion and fell in love with Jesus, and he was devoted to him and committed to him, and one day he would be crucified. Rome would arrest him, take him to Rome, and crucify him upside down. But Peter counted it an honor to die, even crucifixion, to die for the glory of Jesus Christ. Oh, he went from a shaky Simon to a steadfast rock named Peter. Peter didn't know that. Jesus did. He also saw Andrew. You know, when you look at the life of Andrew in the Gospels, one thing that you'll notice about him often, 
he always seems to be bringing somebody to Jesus. In fact, it all began with Peter, his brother. It was Andrew that brought Peter to meet Jesus in the first place. And then we find him, do you remember the story of the, the thousands of people that Jesus fed with a, a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish? That stuff came from a boy. But it was Andrew in the story that brought that boy to Jesus. And then we have all the Gentiles coming to Jesus. They want to know him. They want to find him and hear from him. And when they came, they found Andrew, and Andrew led them to Jesus. What a disciple. He also saw James and John. Now, again, as Simon and Andrew were brothers, so were James and John. They were both the sons of Zebedee. Now, Jesus gave these two brothers a nickname. He called them sons of thunder. I'm not exactly sure why that is. Maybe in the way that John the Baptist thundered his voice down the Jordan River, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news that Jesus was coming. Maybe James and John were inspired by that, and maybe they preached also with thunder and boldness and shouting. Maybe. But you know, there was a story where Jesus was passing through some towns on his way to, to Jerusalem, and James and John went ahead of him. And they came to the town of Samaria, and they said to the Samaritans, Jesus is coming. He's on his way to Israel. Can we stop here and stay with you? And they refused. Samaria didn't want Jesus to visit. So James and John catch up with Jesus on the road, and James and John said, well, what do you think, Lord? How about we call down fire from heaven and consume all those people? And I think Jesus, the Bible says he turned around. And I, I can imagine his, the look on his face. Like, what are you thinking? Call down fire from heaven. James and John, what are, what's wrong with you? He says, I didn't come here to destroy. He came here as a savior. But this was the beginning of James and John. This, this, this is the kind of character they had. But what do we find out about them in days to come or in years to come? The story of James he became the very first disciple murdered, martyred. He was killed with a sword by King Herod. James knew that it's worth dying for in order to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can only do such things when you learn to love him and you learn to love those that you are ministering to. When you love him and you love people, you're willing to spend your life in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. And that became James. And what about John? John also learned about the love of God. John called himself the one that Jesus loved. We can all say those words. I'm the one that Jesus loves, but I think that impacted John so much to know that God loved him with an everlasting love. When you read the Gospel of John, John mentions that word love more than 50 times. When you get to 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, those letters in the New Testament, he mentions it again more than 40 times. John, the writer of the gospel, the 1st the and 2nd and 3rd John in the book of Revelation, John became a man who loved God with all of his heart, and he loved the people. In fact, it was John, when Jesus was crucified, it was to John and to James that Jesus gave his mother Mary into the care of. He knew if he could trust anyone to love his mother and to take care of her. It was John and his brother James. James shows us 
how to die for Jesus. John shows us how to live for Jesus. And it's all about love. Now here's the question. How did these four men change in such incredible ways? How did they, how were they transformed? How was everything in their life changed? It's because of what Jesus said in the middle of these words. He said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. All they had to do was follow Jesus. And then Jesus would make them into what he was calling them to be. The word make doesn't mean, and I will force you to become. It means I will create. I'm going to mold. I'm going to form this in you. When they followed him, Jesus was forming them to become ministers and fishers of men. And the same is true for all of us. When we follow Jesus, he makes us into the men and women that he wants us to be. He's the one that fashions us. Remember, he is the potter and we are the clay in his hands and he molds and he fashions into what he wants us to become. Have you followed Jesus? If so, have you been changed? When you review your life, have you been changed? Or do you feel like I'm still the same person I was before I met Jesus? I still act the same. I still talk the same. I still desire the same things. If that's you, you may not be following Jesus. Because when you follow, he changes you. He transforms your life. Have you been changed? You can also read in the Old Testament, I won't go in, into detail with this, but Gideon, who was afraid of the Midianite army, and he was hiding in the caves because he was so scared of them. He was, he was bringing the harvest into the wine press in order to hide the harvest because he was scared that the, the Midianites would come. Maybe they would kill him and steal all of his possessions. And so there he is in the caves, afraid of the Midianite army, and then the Lord comes to Gideon. And he says, the Lord is with you, man of valor. And Gideon probably thought, man of valor? I'm not a man of valor. I'm scared. I'm hiding in caves. I'm hiding what I'm doing. I'm scared of these Midianite people. But why did the Lord call him man of valor? Because God was calling him not what he was, but what he would soon become. Why? Because the Lord was with Gideon. And God could see the work he would do in Gideon's life. Gideon became an incredible soldier who led an army of 300 to finally defeat the Midianite army. God looks at us today, and he knows all about where you've come from, what you're doing, and where you're going. And Jeremiah says in the Old Testament, in fact, he says, God says this about all of us. God says, I know the plans I have for you. God looks upon you, every single one of you, and he knows where he's taking you. What do we do in the meantime? He's got one command. Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men, or whatever the Lord may call you to do in life. He saw those men, and he knew their futures. And the same was same is true for us today. 
Number two, he saw fishermen and their faithfulness. In verse 16 and 19, it says, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. A long time ago, maybe 27 years ago, when I first felt called into the ministry, I felt God put that on my heart. I felt that one day I would be a minister, and honestly, I was in my second year in college at the time, and I honestly thought, well, God, since you're calling me, I guess now I'm going to quit school, and, and where am I going? Am I going to Africa? Should I go to South America somewhere? Should I go to Indonesia? What should I do, God? But I do know I'm ready to quit school. Thank you for calling me into the ministry. And when I started to talk to my dad about my heart, my dad was saying, wait a minute, slow down. God's called you? Amen. But finish school first. Keep doing what you're doing, and then let God open the doors. And so I thought, well, that's not good enough, Dad. I, let me ask somebody else what they think. And so my dad told me to call his friend, Roy Bevan, who had always given great counsel to my father. And so I called Mr. Roy Bevan, and I told him about my heart, that I felt God called me to the ministry. What do I do now? Roy Bevan said, well, praise God, Heath. I'm so happy to hear that. So now here's what you do. Finish school. Keep on working. Do what you're doing. Be faithful to God. And then let him direct you in the days to come. And I thought, have you been talking to my father? Because I think he told you what to say to me. But of course he didn't. They both gave me wise counsel. In between knowing Jesus in my life, in between knowing him, and one day when he calls me to go and to serve him, what do we do in the meantime? Between knowing him and being called out by him, what do we do in the meantime? We are to be faithful in whatever the Lord has given us to do. Be faithful. That means young people, you may feel called today to go into ministry. Wonderful. In the meantime, be faithful in school. Be honorable toward your teachers. Be at home, be faithful to your parents. Do what they tell you to do. Older people, when God calls you into something, great. Remain faithful. Husbands, remain faithful to your wife. Wives, remain faithful to your husbands and to your children. Whatever it is you are doing, just keep being faithful. And when the time comes, the Lord will show you what to do and where to go. So many young people have come to me before and they say, Pastor Heath, God's calling me. I I'm supposed to go here or there in another country and I'm ready. I say, okay, great. In the meantime, in the meantime, be faithful to your family. I know a lot of young people who are just ready to leave. They're ready to go. And yet there are people in their family that still don't know Jesus. And I always counsel them, before you go off into the world, why don't you try to talk to your own family first? Learn to minister to your family. Be faithful to them and honor them. Because you know what happens? When Jesus came to the disciples, he was ready to call them out. He found them faithful in what they were doing. When he called Simon and Andrew, what were they doing? They were fishing, just like they did every day. Now, Simon and Andrew and James and John, they already met Jesus. 
They already knew him. They already believed in him to be the Son of God and the Messiah. But Jesus had not called them out just yet. He's about to. So what did they do between knowing Jesus and one day being called out by him? In the meantime, they're just faithful to what they do every day. They work hard, they provide for their families, and they do it well. And when the time came, the Lord found them faithful. The same was true for James and John. They were mending nets. They were part of their father's fishing industry. Faithful to their father, faithful to the work, faithful to their fellow workers, and they did what they did every day. When Jesus found them, he found fishermen who were faithful. These were fishermen. Again, they already knew Jesus. They already believed he was the Messiah sent down from heaven and that one day he would call them into a specific ministry. So now between here and there, they just simply remained faithful to their work, to their family, to their community. In the Old Testament, there's another example of this between Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, the great prophet, is about to be taken up by God right into heaven. And so he's walking one day, and he sees another man named Elisha. Elisha, of course he knew God. Of course he was a man who was already in the worship of the God of Israel. And when Elijah came by and saw Elisha, ready to call him, ready to throw his mantle around him and to say, now you are the next great prophet. When he found Elisha, do you know what Elisha was doing? He's walking behind the ox, plowing his father's fields. He already believes he's about to be called, and in the meantime, he just does what he does every day, serving his father, faithful at home, and hard at work. And when the time was right, Elijah called him. God always, always expects us to be faithful to our family, be faithful at our work, be faithful in school, always be faithful. Amen? So someone might say, well, I don't know God's calling for me just yet. I don't know what he's going to have me do, so what should I do? Same answer, be faithful now. Just show the Lord whatever he has given you in life. To be a student, a worker, a parent, a child, whatever, be faithful at it. That's what he expects from you. And one day, when you see Jesus face to face, he will say, now, well done, good and faithful servant. He saw fishermen and their faithfulness. Number three, the last one, he saw servants and their fast response. Verses 18 and 20. Andrew and Simon immediately left their nets and followed him. And immediately he called James and John, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. He saw servants and their fast response. Is there any greater proof that a servant loves and honors his master than to instantly obey his commands? Isn't that a faithful servant? When he's commanded, he just simply does it, instantly obeying. Peter and Andrew, they heard the master's call, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
And Mark says immediately. They weren't discussing it. They weren't weighing out the pros and cons. They didn't make a checklist to say, what, what should we do about this? They didn't ask for permission from somebody else. They didn't complain. They didn't moan. And they didn't sail away. Immediately, without a thought in mind, they dropped everything. And they followed Jesus immediately. You know, immediately is a word that Mark loves. You'll find it all throughout his gospel. Like when Jesus spoke to the demons to cast them out, immediately they went out. When Jesus spoke into the storm on the Sea of Galilee, immediately there was peace. When Jesus would speak to somebody who was sick in body and he gave command for healing, immediately the sickness fled away. All of nature, the demons, even sickness, they instantly obeyed the words of Jesus. How about you? Are you always ready to obey, obey his word? Or do you kick and you moan and you complain and you question? What kind of servant are you? Or how many of you parents that are here today, how do you feel? when your children immediately obey what you say. Doesn't that touch your heart in a very wonderful way? I mean, what, what is it? Uh, we're going to have dinner soon, and your kid is on their phone. I know none of your kids are ever on your phone. My kids are. And so maybe it's dinner time, and you say, uh, Honey, son, put down the phone. Let's go eat dinner. Does your child say, All right, Dad, let's go have some dinner? Or do they say, Oh, come on, not yet. I'm not done yet. I'm still on the phone. Leave me alone. Or they just simply ignore you and not say anything at all. Get out of my room, Dad. What do your kids do? If they instantly obey you, how does that make you feel? Isn't it well-pleasing to you to just simply know I can just say a word and they will listen and trust me and do what I say? If that makes parents feel so good, how does the master feel when we immediately respond to his word? When we're reading the Bible and we see a commandment and we know that we are currently disobeying that commandment, what do we do? Do we say, oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me, help me, change me. Or do you close your Bible and pretend you never read it? Do you walk away or you start making excuses about why you do what you do? What kind of servant are you? For Peter, of course, in this moment of time, he has no idea that one day he's going to be crucified. He has no idea. Prisonment and a cross is waiting for him. But for now, the master is calling, and it's time to follow. And he did. For James and John, they not only left their nets behind like Peter and Andrew did, they also left their father. Now, of course, they loved their father. They were good to him, obedient to him. They honored him, faithful in what they did for him and for the family. But now, the master is calling, and it's time to follow. And let us not forget about dad. I know I didn't highlight his name, but don't forget about Zebedee. Because this calling for his sons also affects him, his heart, his mind, his soul. 
It was a sacrifice for Zebedee to allow his sons to go off and to follow Jesus. Zebedee had no idea that in a few years' time, his son James would be killed with a sword by King Herod. Zebedee did not know that in time, his son John would be banished to be alone, a prisoner on the island of Patmos. Zebedee didn't know these things. But now, the master is calling his sons. And in the same way that they immediately responded to him, so did Zebedee. And he released his boys into the care of the master. Wow, how is that for Oscar's parents and for Steffi's parents today? The Lord is calling. You have to release your kids into the hands of the Lord. But always remember this, parents. There's no better place for your kids to be than following Jesus. Amen? So in conclusion today, when the master calls, when he calls you, may your response always be immediate. Musicians, you can come. May it always be an immediate response. No questions asked, no argument. Just respond to what the Lord is calling you. He calls you in at least three ways. One call of Jesus is that he calls you to repent of your sins, to turn from them and to trust in him for salvation. And maybe some of you today know he's calling you to turn and to trust in him. The Bible says right now, don't harden your hearts. And don't push it off for another day. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you will see tomorrow. None of us do. Today, he calls. What will you do? Secondly, he calls us to obey him. In his word, there are what's called commandments. And he expects you to follow and obey his call. Do you? Do you obey? Do you follow? Or are you still holding back obedience? And thirdly, he calls us into ministry. Every single one of you will be called into ministry. It doesn't mean you're going to be a missionary or a pastor or an evangelist. But even right here in Alpha Omega International, there's a ministry for you to do. When he calls you, be faithful to him. And you might say, well, I don't feel called just yet. Great. Just keep being faithful to him and to your family and to all that you do. When the master calls, let's pray. God, thank you for this message today. Thank you, Lord, for these words. Thank you, Jesus. Just as we see you looking upon men full of failures, full of soon-to-come failures, full of weaknesses. Jesus, you looked upon them, and you loved them, and you called them. And the end result was they followed you with all their hearts, and they never looked back again. And I pray, Lord, today that as you look upon us, help us to also remember we are full of failures, and we will still fail in the future as well. And yet you look upon us, and you call us to follow you. Oh God, what a calling this is. I pray, God, that as we hear your voice today, we do not hesitate, but we say yes to the master and we follow to whatever you have us to do, 
to wherever you want us to go. Help us, Lord, to follow you and never, ever look back again. Thank you, Lord. We don't know what the future holds, but you do. And you say, I have plans for you to give you a hope and to give you a future. Things that are of peace and not of harm and danger. So God, help us to rest in you. And every parent that's here today, help them, Lord, to release their children into your hands to do what you will call them for. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.